you will take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. A message today entitled, I Have a Dream. I've been sharing this with you, and it's like I emptied the house today. Uh, I have a dream. And uh, um, I pray that as we progress through this, that it will resonate with you. I will tell you that there is no way to uh, uh, cover everything that needs to be covered in one message. Acts chapter 2. When you find that scripture, if I could have your eyes for a few minutes. August 28th, 1963, I was eight years old. We were just about to enter, I think, the third grade. Excuse me. While I don't remember all the ins and outs and ups and downs of the day's events, I remember that I came in. We're getting ready to go back to school, and I remember I came in that evening. And uh, some of you will remember this. Some of you are too young. We had a TV that had two stations. We had the antenna, and we could get WDAM, and we could get WLOX. That was it. But it was also free. Could I get an amen? That evening on the news as I came in, there was a man standing somewhere, and I didn't know who he was. This African-American man didn't know who he was. I knew there was some turmoil in our country. I understood that as a third grader. But I didn't know, understand all the uh, ins and outs and ups and downs of it. Turns out it was Martin Luther King. They were reporting on him on, from our news, and he was standing in front of uh, the Lincoln Memorial, and he was giving what has come to be known through the years, the I Have a Dream address. Once again, I didn't understand all the ins and outs and ups of it, but here's what I want to tell you. I'm now, I didn't know this, I didn't, this is not something that I was sharp enough as a third grader to remember. I've gone back and read the speech several times. Come Come to find out, he had almost left out the part of I have a dream, but I'm going to tell you what impressed this third grader. As they showed the ending of that of that speech, I can still close my eyes and hear his voice as it seemed like every other word was, I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. And as I read the speech seven or eight times in the end of that speech, he said, I have a dream. And that resonated with a third grader because dreams were big, big for a seven or eight year old. I could hear the passion in his voice. I didn't know what it was all about, but I heard the passion. Now, here it is, 59, almost 60 years later, and I've learned this. Dreams drive us. Whatever we dream about drives us. Dr. King, his dream today is largely a reality. And why? There's a lot of reasons, but can I just give you four personal reasons? that may resonate with you. It's because he stated it. It's because he lived it. It's because he advocated for it, and ultimately he gave his life for his dream. Our message this morning, I have a dream. Candidly, this morning you're going to hear from me. This is out of my heart. 
that God has given me this dream in my heart for this church family. I want to say it again. I cannot cover everything that I would really like to, but I dare say, time we go home, you will have more than enough because it's that, that field. But this morning you will hear from me tonight in the fellowship hall. If you return, we will eat some finger foods, gather around the table, and then I will get to hear from you. And together, the God's future for this church will be forged forward. Now, some of you may say, Brother Jerry, I've never heard of a preacher doing something like this before. Maybe you have. Why in the world do you feel compelled? Why do you have to do something like this? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I'm going to give you three, and I'll put them on the screen. First of all, I believe our Lord required it. I believe our Lord requires it. Scripture's clear. To whom much is given, much is required. And we have been given much. Our Lord himself has given us an assignment. He has given us the resources to do just about whatever comes into our heart. And you know what else he lets us know, brothers and sisters? That the time is short to get it done. How do you know the time is short, Brother Jerry? Let me just tell you how I know. I can pick up this book and a newspaper or the Internet news And I can tell you the time is short because of what the Bible says and how society lines up with it. Our Lord requires it. The second reason is because we as a church need it. We as a church need it. Somebody would say, why in the world would you say something like that? The truth is, I believe I can be honest with us. Because I have expressed to you for two years my love for the church. Not long ago, I went to lunch with Dean Register, and we were sitting and talking. Dean and I are almost friends for almost a quarter of a century, and he said, You know, Jerry, I've never seen you as settled as you are today. I love being your pastor. I love you. I love being among you. I love serving here. Tonight, One of the questions that will be asked as we gather around tables is, what are your dreams, what are your visions for the New Hope family? Now, let me just be honest so you know I'm not an idiot. That may be another subject for another time. Don't say anything, Tim, all right? I know that there are people in this room who would say, I like things like they are, so don't bother us. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Here's what I want to say to you. Things never stay like they are. Life, you know, I was thinking about this in the study this morning. Life is like an escalator that's going down. And you, like you did when a kid, you tried to walk up the down escalator. Y'all with me? And so you get halfway up, and when you stop walking up, you move back down. That's what life is like. That's what a church is like. Either we're moving forward or we're moving backwards. There is no stagnant, stable ground. I can take you to church after church after church who thought things were good, and they decided to rest on their laurels, and they're a portion of what they were back then. 
Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, I need to say, I probably need to say this more than you need to hear it. If you feel like this is your church, I'm in the wrong place. Because God didn't call me to serve your church. He called me to serve his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, most of us have a picture in our mind that the church, as it's done too often today in America, has built a fence around the church property and dared the world to come on. But that's not the picture at all in Matthew. It is hell who has a fence around it. It is hell who has people in bondage. It is hell who is hanging on to people. And it is the church who's supposed to be on the offensive. And the gates of hell is not supposed to be able to stand against the church of the Lord Jesus. But when we rest on our laurels and we think today is just whatever, whatever is good enough, we give Satan the upper hand. I'm going to give you a personal word. This is why I'm passionate about this today. After I left here 47 years ago, some of you know I dropped out of school. Seven years later, Deborah and I and, our, and Christy moved back to Hattiesburg where I finished college. And I walked the line 1983, William Carey College, with a music degree. Two months later, a church called me as associate pastor for music. In our context in Marion County, it was a very large church. Ran between 450 and close to 700 at the apex. And just when I got there, they just built a $1.8 million worship center, seated 1,200 out this way, 120 in the choir loft. Great church, great years. Just before we left for, our, for Alaska, I received word. Somebody did the Facebook thing, said, did you know? that today gave the name of the church was their last service. And so I called one of my friends who was, he, he and I played golf together. His wife and I sang together, just great friends. Uh, Deborah, I tell you, they helped spoil our two children. I called him, and, and, and today he's a minister, and I called him and I, and I said, Hey, man, what happened? And he told me some things. He said, But here's the deal. He said, the one pastor went there recently, and he tried to get them to see how to move forward instead of stay still. They said, if people want to come, they know where we are, but we're not changing anything. And here's what I want to say to you. It is true that Jesus builds his church, but it's equally true that every year, 4,000 local churches close their doors. It is true that that church, which was once a large church and now is gone, as soon as they closed the door, there was another congregation ready to occupy the building. It's a warning. We need it. Our Lord requires it. We as a church need this. The third thing is the gospel demands it. The gospel demands it. Every biblical reference to the gospel demands that we who experience the gospel, who have the gospel, that we share it. There are no exceptions. The marching orders for every church 
are the same. The marching orders for every Christ follower are the same. And you know what, folks? I just want to share this with you. It shouldn't be that difficult. Well, I can't do that. It shouldn't be that. You know why? Do you know what the, do you know what the definition of the gospel is? Good news. Good news. Watch this. We were on our way to hell. We were estranged from God. We had no hope in and of ourselves. And at just the right time, God sent Jesus, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem all of us. And now we get life to the fullest here on earth. And one day, oh, by the way, we get to enjoy a home in heaven. And brothers and sisters, if we don't share the gospel... It doesn't get shared. Might as well write a book, How to Get to Hell from Ten Mile Creek. Those are three, and they only... I want to give you a couple of statements. I'm going to put one of them on the board about this thing of having a dream of what God wants to do. Dreams give birth to vision. And vision... Gives birth to dreams. I will pause just to say, everybody in this room has some dream or vision in your life which controls your life. The only dreamer or or vision that is worth giving your life to is a compelling vision, is a God-given vision. Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says. Now, here's the old King James. Where there is no vision, the people... Say it with me. Let's try that again. That was almost everybody. Where there is no vision, the people... Well, do you, you know what that really means? Where there, is, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint because they're not restrained by the vision. Where there is no revelation about what tomorrow is supposed to look like, under God, people cast off restraint and they do what they want to, what is right in their own minds. And that is where we are today in this world, in this country. It's the last verse of the book of Judges. And in those days, there was no king in all of Israel. In those days, there's no king in all of the United States. And there's no, today, there's no king in our heart. So everybody just kind of does what's right in their own mind. Joel, we read that a while ago. You didn't think I was ever going to get to it. Now we're in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes Joel. We pick up in verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders 
in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious, some translations say awesome, day of the Lord comes. And the payoff verse says, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, this Sunday, is about a statement and a question. The statement is, I have a dream. I believe God's put it in my heart. The question is, what is your dream? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the moments that remain, I pray that you will open our eyes to what you want us to do as your family in this place. I thank you for the love across this family. I thank you for the concern across this family. Lord, I pray that it will swell into what you want us to be for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two years ago today, I stood before you this first time, Pastor, been excited. It was a great day in my life. I hope, it, I hope you still feel the same way, that God called us together to do his kingdom work. This means we pray together. This means we pray together. Until we learn to pray together, nothing else is going to matter. That we pray together and then we learn to worship Him together. Hands up, hearts up, mouths open. Then we worship together. And when we pray and worship together, then we'll be evangelized and bringing people to Jesus together. And when we bring people to Jesus together, then we will be discipling people. That's another message for another time. Because the truth is, is that what we do today when people get saved... It's tantamount to ladies, you having a baby, and you bringing him home from the hospital, and you putting him in the baby bed, and you propping that bottle up for him, and you go, go get it, buddy. Because our call is to make disciples and do it together. What an incredible call from God. If you want to know in a word, in a sentence, I'm not going to put it up here, you, you want to know in a sentence my dream for New Hope Church. My dream for us is that we, this congregation, become the lifeblood of our community. That means if we, they can't even imagine a community without New Hope family being here. That means that in every part of life that we are making an impact. Now, how does that happen? Two ways. And I will move as quickly as I can, but I'm not shortchanging God. The first one, I want us to be or become a people. I want us to be, become a people. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm about to list six things for you. Any one of these could be full sermons. <clears throat> first of all, I'd like us to be, I'd like us to know that we are a people of faith. Of faith. 
Brother Jerry, are you saying we're not people of faith? No, I'm not going to say that. I know that every person who has trusted Christ and Christ is living in their heart, walking with them daily, they have a daily relationship with him, are people of faith. That said, my dream extends beyond that. My dream extends that we as God's people called New Hope Church are known to be a people who live and walk by faith. How in the world does that begin? We've already mentioned it. It begins with prayer. Make a note of this. When Jesus spoke about his church, he didn't say, my house shall be called a house of preaching, although preaching is important. He didn't say, my house shall be called a house of fellowship, although fellowship is important. He didn't say, my house shall be called a house of programs, although we use programs. You know what he said. He said, my house shall be called a house of a house of prayer. The quality and quantity of our prayers serve as a thermometer of our heart and thus our faith. Did you catch that? The quality and quantity of our prayers serve as a thermometer of our hearts and our faith. The only reason a redeemed person, someone who's been born by the blood, the only reason that a people like that would not pray is because they have come to the conclusion that they can do it on their own. The 21st century church is notorious, particularly the Americanized church, is notorious for attempting to do the spiritual in the power of the physical, leaving the Holy Spirit out of the equation. I offer this, not because we do it, I've not really detected this, but it just needs to be said, anytime a church tries to use simply the bottom line on a spreadsheet to measure their work is not a church that's walking in faith. Prayer was the default position of the first century church, the first century believers. Whatever came their way, persecution, they prayed. Leadership selection, they prayed. And not praying has some severe consequences. Can I just give you a couple? Not praying... When we don't pray, when we don't seek the Holy Spirit, we tend, number one, we tend to lose our sensitivity and our vision for the lost and the unchurched people, for those outside the building. I refer you to Acts 3.1. That guy who'd been sitting by the gate, beautiful, ever since he was born. Peter and John had been by there multiple times, and they really never noticed him until they had the experience with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden they were sensitive to him. When we, when we don't pray, when we don't seek the Holy Spirit, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we severely limit our, our ability to help. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. Not before. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power. When we don't seek the Spirit in our lives, we dismiss the concept. We tend to dismiss the concept that everybody needs the gospel. It's kind of like the funeral director in George County. He told us preachers. He said, you know what, guys? 
I've been doing funeral directing here for 25 years, and I've never heard, I've never done a, a funeral for anybody that actually went to hell. Some way, somehow, the preacher got him into heaven. You see, folks, without Jesus in their lives, heaven is not the end for them. Whether they're your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your daddies, your children, your neighbors, your friends, or your enemies. When we don't pray and we don't seek the Spirit, we fail to see the big picture. You can look there in, in verse 17. In those days, when he pours out his Spirit, it's going to change everything. And I'm just going to say one other thing as a Baptist. And Baptists are, not, are notorious for leaving the Holy Spirit out. But when we don't, when we don't pray and we don't seek the Holy Spirit... We'll leave the door open for flawed theology. Why in the world do you think that people, that a man with a straight face could stand in television and say, if you'll send me $55, I'll send you the anointing. If you know your Bible, somebody tried to buy their way into, into the spirit-filled life, and it didn't go too well for them. You see, a people of faith are people who live by faith, people who walk by faith, the people who love by faith, a people who are, are dwelling in the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, and listen, and are trusting the Spirit every day. And I'm doing, being in the Spirit will result in faithfulness. I've about decided... As much as I love you, and if you get upset, you just get upset. As Mark Croner would tell you, you got the same shoes to get glad in as you got mad in. I've about decided that I'm going to preach the same sermon four Sundays in a row. Because if I preach the same sermon four Sundays in a row, everybody will finally get to hear it. You see, faithfulness is not just when you want to. I heard... Um, I think it was Jim Cimbala said in a, an audio book, said years ago you attended church two times a week you were faithful. Today if you sit, people think if I attend two times a month I'm faithful. That's not God's standard. I'm going to say one other thing because the truth is is that Paul tells the Ephesians not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you grieved the Holy Spirit in your life? Has he called you to do something? And you just kind of meandered and you just grieved him? You knew it when you did it, if you're a born-again child of God. Paul told the Thessalonians to don't quench the Spirit, don't cut him off. Have you just kind of cut him off, thrown him in a corner? I pray, I dream that we'll be people of faith. Faith. Second thing is, I pray that we'll be people of feelings. Of feelings. Oh, Brother Jerry. Listen, Jesus felt things. He felt things deeply. He wept over Jerusalem. He was moved with compassion at the multitudes. He wept at the grave of Lazarus with, with the sisters and their friends. He was a feeler. He felt it. Now, I, here's what I know about us here in this, this place. We are deep feelers. You let somebody go through hurt. You let somebody go through pain. You let somebody have difficulty, and we feel for them. But brothers and sisters, the feeling I'm talking about is feeling the weight of the lostness of literally the hundreds of people around us 
that are dying without Christ in the shadow of our steeple. When we are as concerned about them as we are family, we'll know that the Spirit has taken control. And I'm just going to say this and move on. They they don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. I want to dream that we'll be a people of feelings and, and it will flow. Not put on, it'll flow. I pray that we'll be a people of following. Of following. Jesus never invited... I, I, need to, I, I probably need to... I'm about to rock somebody's world. Jesus never invited anyone to be a church member. Hello? Jesus never invited anyone to be a Christian. In fact, the word Christian appears three times in the New Testament, two times in Acts, once in Peter. The two times in Acts was derogatory. Jesus' invitation to you, to me, is the same today as it was to those 12 disciples 2,000 years ago, and it is, follow me. There is no other invitation. Who or what we follow is back to the controlling issue. It controls our lives. The apostles, have you thought about it? They left boats. They left businesses. They left brothers. Giving their all because following requires sacrifice. And I'll just say this to you. If I'm going to follow Mark Croner somewhere I don't know, we meet up here and he goes, follow me. You know the only way I can follow him? Keep him in my sight. The only way we're going to follow Jesus is to keep him in our sight. Time's getting away. I pray, I have a dream that we're a people of fellowship. Of fellowship. Brother Jerry, now you finally got to something I get my teeth in. And I'm thinking of that fried chicken. Well, certainly, our meals back here may be a part of the fellowship. But that's only a part of the fellowship that we're talking about in Scripture. And and this morning, they're not based on tradition. They're not based on food. They're not based on legacy. They're not based on heritage. They're not based on earthly family connection. They're not based on anything of the like. What they're based on, what this fellowship is based on, is a commonality of belief that Jesus Christ is King and Lord, and He's risen from the dead, and He's ready to save whoever comes to Him. That's what, that's what the fellowship is all about. And just, I'll give you this illustration and move on. You know what it's like? We have veterans in our, in our fellowship. Those guys who have actually spent time on the field of battle, in a platoon or whomever. Those guys have a forever bond because they had each other's back. They were there in life and death, and they were connected forever. Fellowship. I can take you to a 90-year-old man right now that once a year, they get on the plane and they connect back up because they serve together. You see, that is the connection of the disciples. That is connection of the first century. That's the connection for us, that we're bound together by this commonality of belief. I, I dream that we're a people of first things. What in the world are you talking about? 
whenever I read Acts 2, whenever I, I really dive in, is that I know the church of Ephesus was considered the model church to many. But I want to say this to you. The church of Ephesus in Acts 19 is very different from the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. You see, they had a lot of things going for them. They, they were, in Baptist terms, they were given the cooperative probe, they were given Margaret Lackey, they were given to the angel tree, they were given the Gideon. They were doing all this good stuff, had a lot of good stuff going on. And in Acts 2, Jesus said, you're doing all this good stuff, but you need to hear me. i got something against you, one thing. And what was it? Your first love, first thing. You see, in Acts chapter 19, they had fallen in love with Jesus. In Acts chapter 19, they confessed. They repented. They declared Jesus. New people came to Christ because of what was going on in their life. It was first and foremost. Honestly. Where does Jesus rank in your life today? Do you turn on a dime for what he asks you to do? I pray that we are a people of fruit. Of fruit. I'm speaking obviously of spiritual fruit. You can find it in in Galatians chapter 5. Some people attempt to conjure up fruit. Have you ever tried to do that in your garden? Tried to conjure up fruit? Some of you heard me tell the story. I bought a tomato plant one time. I know it was a tomato plant because I bought it at Walmart. It was in the tomato plant section, and I don't know anything about about plants. I went home. Here's all you could do with a plant. You water it. You fertilize it. It grows, and it produces whatever's on the inside. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? That tomato plant was a pepper plant. They'll know you by your fruit. If you try to conjure up love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if you try to conjure that up, you know what it'll be like for people who think you've got it? Here's what it'll be like. Have you ever sat down at somebody's table and this gorgeous bowl of fruits on the table, and you're thinking, I'm going to have me some of that. And you pick up that beautiful green apple, and you go, ah, and it's plastic. That's exactly. You see, when people try to conjure up spiritual fruit, fruit is counterfeit. We are known by our fruit, and I pray that people will see the fruit, not the works. Galatians 5 also talks about the works, and there are many. I'd like to close with, not only do I have a dream that we are a people, but I have a dream that this place, that this campus becomes something. That this campus becomes a place, number one, of holiness. Of holiness. We talk very little today about holiness. And we hide behind that little sissy excuse. Well, nobody's perfect. I want you to think about this. Peter writes, of all people, Peter. Peter wrote these words. He's quoting God. Be holy as I am holy. Peter wrote that. Obviously, 
this being holy is not about perfection. Obviously, Peter and God had gotten it all together. Having a right relationship with God is holiness. And the way we have a right relationship with God is we confess regularly. We repent regularly. We trust regularly. We follow regularly. And we obey regularly. My dream is that this place becomes a becomes a campus where people look there and go, yeah, you have to watch those folks. They really follow Jesus. They really follow Jesus. Not only just to be a place of holiness, but also of help. Excuse me, of hope. Of hope. I was told this in the past two weeks. Inside the church building, there's a heartbreak on every pew. Outside the building, there's a heartbreak in every place. What would it be like? What would it be like if every time someone found themselves hopeless in this community, that they would be pointed to a place here where they could find some hope. What would it be like if they made a beeline for this place, watch this, where they could find, listen, new hope? How cool would that be? Not only of hope, I, uh, my dream is that this would be a place of help. Of help. Again, wouldn't it be cool if, if the and wouldn't it be cultural changing, changing our culture if people, when they needed help, knew that they could find it here? Now, let's be honest. We may be like Peter and John in the book of Acts. We might have to say to them sometimes, you know, silver and gold, we don't have any. We don't have any money, but we'll give you what we have. Because you can't outgive God. How would it change? If that became true, folks, how would it change the community's perception of this body? How would it change the community's perception of Jesus? They could find hope and help here. How about healing? I'd love this place to become a place of healing. Somebody going, whoa, pastor, don't get off on that healing stuff now. Well, I'll just tell you, I believe in divine healing. I just don't believe in these divine healers that hit you on the head and you're supposed to be healed. Okay? I believe in divine healing. We may, we've anointed here. We may do it again sometime. But our part may be in this healing of finding people who are broken and wounded from the tragedies of life and that we can offer a little of the salve of Jesus to them. Or how about the many children that have no home, have no parents to love them? Or how about worse? How about the children who have parents that don't want them? Could we be people who stand in the gap? Is there, are there those among us who can and will offer a place of healing? Being the hands and feet of Jesus. That's our ultimate call. You don't like this? I want us to be, I dream about us being a place of happiness. 
Now, I'm going to tell you at the outset, I really wanted to use the word joy here, but it didn't fit my alliteration, so I'm going to start with happiness, okay? But you know what happiness is? It's the result of inner joy. 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 You know what the truth is? Is that King David, okay, I don't want to take you by surprise. Some of you have already gone to sleep. King David, after he fell, prayed this. Restore the... Oh, yes, I still took you by surprise, didn't I? Okay, King David said, restore the joy of my salvation. He didn't say the joy of my life. He didn't say the joy of my marriage. He didn't say the joy of my kingship. He said the joy of my salvation. Brothers and sisters, we need to find joy in Jesus again. Hello? That means that, means that we come confessing and repenting. Nehemiah said this. Are you ready? There's another blank in this sentence. Nehemiah said the joy. Say it with me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So if the joy of the Lord is our strength, when we don't have joy, we're weak. Hello? The joy. I want us to be a place of joy. When we get in on what God is up to fulfilling His ministry, His mission on the creek in Marion County, in South Mississippi, in northeast Louisiana, and surrounding area, the joy will fall like a waterfall. I don't know about you, but I want to be under the spout where it all comes out. The last thing. You didn't think I was going to get here, I know. I dream of us being a place, this being a place of happenings. Now hang with me. Some of you are going to another meeting. The people who are saying that are people who don't know me well and intimately. Because the people who know me well and intimately know that I despise meetings. You're a preacher. I despise meetings. And in fact, unless we have a meeting that has a purpose, I want to cancel it. Certainly there may be some meetings when I talk about happenings. But you know what I'm really talking about? You know what a real happening is among God's people? Are you with me? I'm almost done. A real happening is that which makes the angels sing and dance in heaven. Uh, I know I'm a Baptist. You don't have to like it. You can disown me. But there's probably going to be dancing in heaven because the angels rejoice when someone comes home. You see, the truth is, I have a dream I have a dream when we come together to worship that we honestly can't wait to get to the altar call. That we can't wait to get to the altar call because either we want to come and pray to God about something going on in our life, we want to come and lift up one of our friends because we believe that God can do it, 
we we want to come, or maybe we just want to be there because we know somebody's coming to the altar to do business with God. I have a dream that is such a spiritual holy place that we just expect somebody to respond. Even this morning, my dream is this. If there's someone in this room that goes, you know, I walked out 30 years ago. I got baptized. I prayed a prayer and I've been sitting on a pew. But Jesus is not real to me. I don't know anything about that. I have a dream that maybe this morning someone will come and, make, and ask Jesus to be real to them. I have a dream that maybe there's someone in here that goes, you know, no, that's not me. You know, I got saved. Jesus came into my life. But I've really grieved the Holy Spirit. I've really quenched Him. I've kicked Him out of my life. I've done my own thing. But today I want to come home. My dream is that we come home to Jesus with the same passion. We come home to our earthly families when we've been away a while. That's the call today. Do you need to come home to Him? My dream is that you would not let pride or arrogance get in the way. And my my dream is not that you come to me. You don't even have to talk to me. But my prayer today is that you come to Him. And listen. God's watching. Jesus is waiting. The Holy Spirit is calling. He's urging. He's begging. And He's pleading. Would you come home to Him today? Let's pray together.